Welcome to this Melbourne Business School podcast. I'm Jan Marshall and with me today is Isabel Metz, Professor of Organisational Behaviour here at Melbourne Business School. Isabel's topics of research include barriers and facilitators to women's advancement in leadership positions, gender and career, diversity management, work and family balance, amongst others. Today we're talking about the book titled Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and Isabel's research into the topics of gender and diversity. Isabel, perhaps you'd like to describe uh, a little bit about the book Lean In to those who perhaps haven't read it and then we can talk about what that book has meaning for you and in your research. So um, the Lean book uh, has falls under the genre of um, self-help books for women who work. It has got a number of chapters from, you know, uh, get the right partner to uh, mentors and networks. So there's, it's well researched. There isn't anything that is new in the book other than, of course, Cheryl uh, Sandberg's own personal experience, which she shares with us. Um, and in that, I think the book is really valuable in the sense that those who aspire to succeed in the workforce have got someone to look up to. Um, they can relate to a lot of the anecdotes that she has got there. We, we all can. Uh, providing that you were a woman in the workforce, there will be at least some material in the book that you will have experienced in some way or another. Um, so in that sense, it's, I thought it was great because you know that you're not alone. You're not the only person that is going through these difficulties and it's not you. And that is really important to realize that the problem is not you as an individual. Um, and at the same time, it provides a lot of tips and a lot of strategies for people just starting out in, the, uh, in their careers or going through a difficult patch in their careers, it gives quite a lot of information and strategies to try to circumvent those obstacles. So it's all good in that sense. What worried me about Lean In when I uh, read it and when I was talking about it to my colleagues is whether it was going to give women in particular overconfidence that they could fix all the problems that they encounter in the workplace because some of the problems are due to personal interactions with others or due to other people's stereotypes and biases or due to how organizations structure the work uh, or due to organizational cultures or even due to national cultures, you know, the culture around um, the organizations. Um, and therefore, uh, my only concern is that books like Lean In, and Lean In is really an extreme example of this genre of books because it has been so popular, is that women will think that they can do it and if they only put in the hard work, they will succeed. 
However, we know from decades of research that yes, some might, but they're only very few, and the others might become very disappointed and we may lose them, we may lose that talent, um, they will decide to do something very different. So just before we perhaps explore what that's about, could, we, could you just take us through what are the parts of Lean In that you think Cheryl Sandberg is advising people to do, that, that it is their responsibility as a woman to take up? Um, what did you notice in the book that she was saying? Just for those who are perhaps listening and may not have read the book. I think the whole world has read the book, but <laughs> yes. Um, so, for instance, in uh, Choose the Right Partner, I thought that was interesting, uh, but yet probably a little unrealistic in the sense that people go through um, their own life stages and people do change and interests change. And I don't think it's uh, like women decide that they're going to marry the wrong person or they're going to partner with the wrong person. It, these things happen. So that is an example of whether that kind of advice is completely realistic. Uh, it's good to know, but it's the kind of advice that our mothers tell us, right? Our mothers are always very careful telling us to choose someone that fits in with the family, for instance. Um, similarly, with some of the advice in the workforce, uh, when she talks about the importance of mentors, and the importance of experiences. We know from research that those great breakthrough career opportunities are not often under our control. We can at best put our hand up if we know that they're going, but we sometimes don't even know that they are available until somebody else takes those positions. Um, so there's a limit to what we can do. Uh, others have to do their share as well. And I also think that if you're in the workforce and you're serious about your career, you're probably already doing a lot of that stuff. Like we would expect men to work hard and women are expected to work hard as well. The standards are the same for men and for women. In, in fact, we should have exactly the same standards um, because people respond in a way to, our, to what's expected of them. So if you expect less of them, they will provide less. So never do that. Uh, and I don't think a, a lot of people do that. The problem is that you have got um, members of one group men and members of the other group, women, who are putting in similar effort but having access to different career opportunities. And this has got a cumulative effect over time, so much so that 10 years into your career, uh, women are usually find that even without children and so on, without family responsibilities, they seem to have fallen behind. 
And part of that is because of the perceptions, perceptions that they will leave, perceptions that they are less committed, perceptions uh, that they are perhaps less experienced. And we have plenty of empirical evidence that shows this. Thank you. And so with all of that context, what your message was, and we were reading in the article, is really to make sure we understand that broader environment that people are in, that it's not just on that individual person, that there are these things that are not within their control. And you, you were worried about that, that, that might take the cause backwards somewhat if we just leave that responsibility with the individual. Would yes. that be a fair summary of your thinking? Absolutely. Um, I think it's a multi-pronged approach. Mm. Um, there's the individual, there's the interpersonal, there's the organisational, and then there is broader environment includes the government, you know, legislation and agencies and, you know, all sorts of things. So um, the book addresses only the core individual part. And if you can imagine um, circles, like four circles where the individual is in the middle, the interpersonal is the next outer circle, then comes the organisational and then comes the societal as the outer circle. We know from the literature on power that the outer circles influence the inner circles much more than the other way around. So the possibility of individuals to influence outer layers, like the interpersonal layers and the organizational layers, layers and the societal layers, is much weaker than the power of, you know, uh, parties and actors in those outer layers to influence the individual layer, right? So, for instance, in terms of interpersonal, if you have got a manager that truly checks himself or herself all the time, that he or she is giving the same opportunity to men and women, that has got so much more power on how the individual's career is going to go than the individual constantly knocking on the door of that manager and saying, hey, I could have taken that position. Why didn't you ask me? Yes. Yeah, I can see that. And I'm, what I'm curious about in that, I think, is that we're often given skills or taught that we can influence our own world, even in the world of um, uh, personal development. It's about you know, we're told what we can influence, what's in our sphere of control, is often about how we feel and our own behaviour. I'm not sure that we're often given skills to understand how we might influence that wider sphere that you talk about and how that could perhaps feel, you know, when you look at a book like Lean In, you might say, okay, well, there's something I can do myself, but how do I influence that wider societal influence, if you like? That's, that's a little bit harder to get your head around, I think. That's true. And one of the things that I talk about in the article that was published in the uh, Academy of Management Perspectives is that um, the other reason why Lean In is so successful and women who read it now 
may get more out of it than say if this book came out 20 years ago is because there's a higher readiness at the societal level for women to uh, take charge and uh, be agents of their own careers, but only to a certain extent. It's a little bit better um, and, and they will probably be able to apply what they learn or they get from Lenin uh, because we got now have men and women who are more aware, uh, they are more educated, they understand that, um, you know, it's the, for the benefit of men, it's for the benefit of women, it's for the benefit of organisations, it's for the benefit of nations for there to be uh, gender equality, right? Or gender equity, whatever, which one you prefer. Um, I was actually listening to um, TED Talk yesterday about how this man was putting forward a case why it's good for men to be advocates of gender equity. And uh, he brought, you know, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but I think a lot of the men ought to listen to it because he said it's clear that it's not a win-lose game. Everybody wins uh, because everybody has got more time for their families uh, or for their hobbies. You know, there's a greater balance at home, a greater balance at work. If people are more satisfied, they're more productive. If they're more productive, then it's better for the organizations. If it's better for the organization, then the organization will be more generous with the benefits that they give employees. So everybody gains in the end and so on. So um, it is complex and it is important that we get out of this, if one group wins, the other loses. That is not necessarily the case. There are synergies to be gained. What then do you think are some of the barriers that stop things moving a little faster in terms of seeing a shift? Well, in the recent research that I've been doing in large organisations, uh, you can see a difference in organizations that have different cultures. So I've been working with one organization um, in the health industry, which is very much a caring culture, um, just to put it like very generally, and another organization in the finance industry, uh, where it's pretty much the bottom line, short-term, assertive, bordering on the aggressive kind of culture. And what you see in the second organization, and I think it's probably reflective of a lot of organizations, is the people who are attracted to those organizations um, do believe in competition, aggressive competition, and that creates a very aggressive competitive culture and they, it's very masculine in its nature, and therefore, when they look at women as candidates, they will automatically think that women are not tough enough for those kind of environments and for those kind of positions. And it may be true for some women, but also it raises the question 
of whether you need to be that tough to be successful in that environment. And I interviewed one female executive and she said that she took over an account, a very large account from a male colleague and everybody said, oh, you're not gonna be able to handle this account. You know, these customers are always fighting for more, you know, more of everything, pay less. They really um, very um, aggressive and they comfortable conflict. Well, she, she took the account. She wasn't gonna say no to it. And um, she came back after a few meetings with the CEO and his executives, they were all male. And she said, you know what? Um, they're actually really nice people. And what happened was, because she had a completely different approach to negotiations, she didn't have an aggressive, competitive approach, then the other party didn't react in a similar way. And everybody was much happier with a more harmonious and collaborative approach to negotiations. So as you can see, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because things have been done one way, it's the best way or it's the only way to do them. So I noticed in um, the article that was in Boss Magazine that you suggested there are ways that organisations um, can collect data. For example, HR department might collect data on gender. Uh, you mentioned before about managers perhaps stopping to assess their own moments and behaviours about uh, whether they're uh, behaving with an equitable approach to all their team members, for example. What are your suggestions within organisations at the various levels that they could be doing to help open this up and, and keep their own checks and balances in the way they're behaving? Okay, I've got a few suggestions. Some organisations, what they do is that they make their line managers accountable for um, who exits and who en enters their teams, who gets promoted and so on. And that's, um, but I don't, I think that's good, but it shouldn't be the only way to go about this. Um, there needs to be a bundle of uh, practices or approaches. So a line manager that is perceived to have a lower success rate in, for instance, having a gender mixed team or composition or maintaining or a higher turnover of women than um, other teams, or to also be given the opportunity to uh, have some coaching, right? It's not just a punitive approach to this, to uh, let's understand why this is and what solutions we can find to, to the particular case. There could be various reasons. Um, one of the reasons, as I've already mentioned, is the beliefs and the stereotypes that, that we sometimes apply to situations and don't uh, ask ourselves whether they um, are correct or not, that maybe a certain candidate was not going to be successful, right? There's a lot of that patriarchal kind of approach to promotions, like protecting the women, 
and therefore not putting them in what is considered in inverted commas a uh, risky situation. And that's where I think data is really important because data would show that in this individual's team, even though there's a higher turnover and they, he doesn't seem to be able to say get 50-50, let's not say 50-50, 40% women, 60% men, but guess what? His colleague in another state is managing to achieve that. So if you have the data, then this X person could contact the Y person interstate and maybe, you know, have some dinners together, find out how do you do it. There's nothing like having your peers talk to you about what is possible, what are the ob obstacles, uh, how to overcome them. And peers are quite credible. It's a much better way of approaching than having, say, HR, say, to the line manager, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't do it, there will be consequences, right? Um, it also shows to those men who are reluctant or think that women are being um, given uh, an advantage uh, to show them that the figures actually don't support that, right? Uh, it, it's very important to use data to explode myths. There are a lot of myths in the workplace, particularly young uh, men, which understandably they're at the beginning of their careers, they want to succeed, it's quite competitive for them, things are getting tough. Those things are really tough out there in uh, even large organizations. It's important to show them that no, everybody, has got the same opportunity to succeed. You just have to be successful, right? We don't have average women replacing talented men. We have talented women replacing average men. I know this is very controversial, but it should give talented men some level of comfort. No one is gonna take their position. Right? What we are doing is giving women who are equally talented a similar opportunity. Isabel, that's, they're terrific thoughts for people to hold and to take away and to consider how their own organisations might be operating. Is there anything else to, as we finish up our, our conversation today that you might like to add to, to what you've been talking about? I think that our senior managers, our CEOs, we uh, need them to role model everything. In everything they do, even in a meeting, if someone uses a particularly masculine bordering on offensive term, um, I think we should call them out. Uh, I had one manager which who once did that in a meeting and guess what? The language at meetings just um, changed mm -hmm. from then on. And it's something that we see when we have international visitors come to Australia is sometimes they um, comment on how masculine the language is, particularly 
you know, at all levels, but I suppose these international visitors are at very senior levels. They say, you know, they're just not used to hearing that. So you don't have to be masculine and to be a man to speak in a certain way. I just think that our national culture uh, allows it and we become quite used to that kind of language and we don't realize that maybe not everybody is comfortable with it and it's not necessary to conduct and for the effectiveness and efficiency of a meeting to use language. So that's just an example. But role modeling is, is really important. They really need to walk the talk at all levels. And the second thing that I have for you is uh, one organization actually implemented what they called uh, uh, circles of male champions within the organization at all levels. So it wasn't just up to the executives, but they had men across the organization who felt strongly about being advocates for gender equity, and in fact, for equity, for all sorts of equity, um, they put their hands up, they formed groups in the different business units and so on. And these were the men that brainstormed what does our business unit need, what functions can we put in place, how can we talk to our peers. They would be the ones to call out bad behavior, um, and it seemed to work really well. That sounds great. Isabel, thank you for sharing your thoughts today and, and your research. It's You're been invaluable. Welcome. You're welcome. If you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at mbs.edu.